0: This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812.
1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. Great to be with you today. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. And uh, as always, it's good to be with you. You can send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com if you want to send in a message or We're going to begin today. Later on, we'll do Open Line Friday and take your calls. But right now, I have a guest with me in the studio. We are grateful to have uh, Officer Dion Joseph with us. Officer Dion is a law enforcement consultant. He's been doing this for over 25 years, and he has worked. Uh, for most of that time in Los Angeles Skid Row community and he comes to us with a lot of insight onto policing, onto culture, and uh, and a lot of things about how we can get along. Uh, Officer Dion, welcome to Southern California Live. Thank you for having me
2: again, Scott. I'm glad to be here,
1: brother. Good to have you again and it's always great to have you and uh, sometimes we don't have you because you're working uh, with your wife in her food truck, right?
2: Yes, uh, your your friend Officer Joseph does not have a day off. Uh, when I leave the streets of Skid Row, I yeah. am now in a food truck helping my wife sell chicken wings. So. All right.
1: Well, what's your food? What's the food truck called? So we give it a plug.
2: Well, okay, it's called Comfort Wings. Comfort Wings. Everybody deserves a little comfort, uh, and it's southern fried uh, chicken wings. But my wife puts her own special little touch, and it's she's making waves out there. She's doing really good. I'm proud of her.
1: All right. Well, she is doing a great job, Comfort Wings. So you can check that out. Okay. Hey, it's great to have you with us today, and you know, when we get together, we talk about the issues of the day, we look at them through a a biblical lens, and one of the things that we're looking at with Election Day coming up, and I think a lot of the, the feel, is that we are so divided as a nation, not just D's and R's, but I think that we've been moving this direction for several years, but especially because of the COVID and where we came out of it, we're... We're very divided as even people groups, as in different groups of people, mm-hmm. and uh, you want to talk about <clears throat> you want to talk about that today. How have we how have we lost
2: touch with each other, and what do we do about it? We've we've lost touch in so many ways, but uh, before I go any further, because I'm a police officer and mm-hmm. I love my fellow police officers out there, uh, I want you to know something, okay, that you can still trust police officers, okay. You can still trust the vast majority of police officers. I'm tired of the vitriol. I'm tired of the hate. I'm tired of us doing the drinking bird and saying, yes, okay, we're bad, just to go along, to get along. That's not helping. What it's doing is putting our officers in a box where it's rendering us ineffective in not just crime fighting but also bridge building. And I need to try to change that or begin to change that today. Uh, You need to know. That in the country, uh, this beautiful country we call America, uh, this uh, perfectly imperfect uh, experiment called America, uh, there are 330 million human beings. That 800,000 men and women from all walks of life, police and try to serve, and they're just human beings doing it. Okay, now think about it. Annually, these officers can make average of 61 million contacts with the general public, and only. Uh, about every year, it's been consistent. About every year, a thousand people get killed by police. Now we take that very seriously, but do the math on that. Yeah,
1: sixty-one million. So contact would mean <laughs> somebody gets pulled over, somebody gets pulled asked over, a question, stopped,
2: asked a question, you know, you know handcuffed, detained, right. arrested. Something happens. Something happens, and out of all of those contacts with eight hundred thousand men and women, only a thousand. Yep. Only a thousand. And you got to realize that 1,000 exists because there are hundreds of thousands, if not low million, of the negative exception of that 330 million that law enforcement officers have to face so you can sleep at night. And we have to do the job that a lot of people uh, can't do. So I want you to know, do the math on that, and you'll realize that policing has not become a dumpster fire, a rolling dumpster fire in a dry forest. It's still a noble profession, and they need your support. And uh, so I wanted to put that out there first before I go into this. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, you ask a question: Is why we where are the where we uh, why we are where we are now. And that's primarily uh, due to the pandemic. But prior to that, we had a couple of high-profile police shootings. Uh, we had the uh, Mike Brown situation in the Ferguson, which created the Ferguson effect. Mm. I believe that was the beginning of this whole movement. And had, this was in
1: the one in Missouri. Missouri. And it was the hands-up, don't-shoot hands incident. Hands-up, don't-shoot right? incident, okay. right.
2: And this is the one that kind of gave this anti-police movement the wings. Mm. But... When the facts came out, it wasn't strong enough to continue. So they needed another incident. And that was when George Floyd uh, uh, was killed uh, in uh, in Minnesota. And uh, they needed that incident to really further this. And that was the perfect time. And the reason why, as I stated before, is because it was a pandemic pandemic. People were locked
1: down. We've been locked down for what <laughs> three months at that point, and everybody's losing it on everybody's, all sorts of levels.
2: I mean, literally, one of my sons really struggled during the mm. pandemic. You know, all he had was his smart smart device and his computer, and all you're able to watch is over and over again the negative exception of purposely the negative exception of policing being portrayed uh, on everywhere it was on the media our media our journalists who I do respect journalism but even they became activated and they purposely went out and sought uh, the most worst case scenarios uh, they went to the farthest corners of the country to find the most egregious acts in their minds of policing and when the people came out of that there was a a loss of connection yeah but recently Recently, I, I went to a wonderful event. There's a hero of mine by the name of Dr. Pam Wiley, uh, and she is a, a wonderful human being who works with young men on the spectrum of autism. She is mm. a hero, hands down. Uh, one of these days, we, you got to talk to her one of these days, but either way, <laughs> uh, uh, well, at a gala where she was uh, raising funds for these young men, she started a speech. And it stirred my soul. These words is now my new are are now my new mantra for 2023. And she said this at the beginning of her speech, she said, in the absence of meaningful context, contacts with each other, we tragically rely on stereotypes of each other. And when she mm-hmm. said that, I didn't hear anything else she said after that. It was almost like God was talking yeah. to me. He said, Dion, this is the message you need to go with for the rest of the year. Yeah. And it, it did something to me because I started to think throughout history, where are, where are examples of this? Yeah, where are examples? Let, of and let's talk about that because, in, and
1: I want you to say it again, because I think it, it matters for a lot of reasons. It matters because this is, this I believe is the solution and the hope. To get past the things that you're describing, you know, the way that we are at each other, the right. way that we are, and that our, our, our media and and different groups have been dividing us in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So now we're divided against the police and then all right. police are bad. 61 million and there's a thousand incidents. I mean, that's incredible. Right. Uh, people have to realize how incredible that is. And a lot of those 61 million are you know routine, but a lot of them are there. I don't know if there is a routine You know, I wouldn't say those are routine. come to think of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've been around enough cops to know that was not really a routine. But I mean, they go without incident. They go, but there's a lot more where the police diffuse the situation.
2: Absolutely. All the time. Yeah, there's a a buzzword called de-escalate, like it's something new. De-escalation has been around for 25 years since I was around. Before it was called verbalization. Before that, it was called verbal judo. Police officers have been doing it. It's just a lot of these politics put these new buzzwords out to make it seem like something new is happening. But for the most part, police officers are able to talk most people in handcuffs.
1: And so you said, say it again, meaningful contacts. The quote about meaningful contacts. In the
2: absence of meaningful contacts, we tragically rely on stereotypes of each other. And, and that's the quote that's been burned on my heart, and it's going to stay there for the rest of the year uh, and beyond in trying to build bridges with people. Uh, my whole mission is to find a way, if not to do it myself, to create those meaningful contexts, which I try every day. But if I can inspire your listeners uh, to do the same and step outside of their politics, their agendas, and just put it down for a second and engage in somebody different than you and listen yeah. and listen.
1: You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. My guest is Officer Dion Joseph. And, uh, you know, Dion, tell us, uh, what does it mean to you? What's a meaningful contact?
2: A meaningful contact is when you show up without your preconceived notions of it. And even if you had, because we all have biases. Yeah. If I ever said I'm not prejudiced against anything or anybody – I'm lying to you. I've had those prejudices in my life. Yeah. Uh, when I was a young black male, I wasn't a fan of white people for reasons I could explain. <laughs> I'll ha- probably have to explain on another show. <laughs> but <laughs> we definitely should do that. Show. But as I grew up and started uh, meeting people where they were and I showed up with my hands open instead of my fist balled up, I ended up meeting some incredible people who were different than me, who were white, who were Asian, who were Hispanic. Matter of fact, uh, it was my current job as a police officer, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, I mean, I know it's shocking about a lot of progressives out there, but it was my job as a police officer that really helped take the scales from my eyes and start seeing everybody. As human, yeah. not by their race, not by, I mean, of course you see people by the race. There's nothing wrong with seeing differences in people is when you treat people with indifference, that's where the problem lies. Right. And being a police officer taught me that I have to serve people equally. Now I can't guarantee equal outcomes, right? That's impossible mm-hmm. because every person you meet, their personality is different. They may have medical issues, mental problems, traumas, but yeah, that, that being a police officer would have made me a better person on top of my faith and everything else. So, so yeah. Yeah.
1: And you know, I think the meaningful contacts idea, um, first of all, it's for Christians, you know, who are listening, we are told to make disciples of all nations. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not countries, it's people groups. Mm-hmm. And we live in a country that's different than most countries in the world. Absolutely. We have all the people groups here. And <laughs> yes, it's sir. fine to go have, be a missionary somewhere, okay? But yeah. a lot of countries, they don't have many different people groups trying to act as one. We have this, and this really ought to be our strength.
2: Right. Um, It ought to be. Right. But unfortunately, there are too many people who have a vested interest in categorizing and controlling us. See, there's no difference in in Jim Crow and segregation than identity politics. Mm -hmm. There's no difference. both of them serve the same purpose to separate people, to categorize and find and, and categorizing them and separating them control them one way or the other. Yeah. And and that's why it's so important about the meaningful contacts. You know, if you're a college student and you're hearing all day that police are monsters, you know what? Why don't you just step outside of the box and go to a citizens academy and have a real conversation with a police officer. That's the only way you're gonna know. If you're a white person who has a problem with black people, why don't you just Step out of your comfort zone and go find an African-American to talk to and say, why Why do you feel this way towards me or towards life? Same thing with African-Americans and, and so on. We all have to do that if we're going to save our country. And I like what you brought up. You brought up about America. America is a beautiful melting pot. And what I hate is when people like to compare American police officers to other countries. Mm. And what it, do you mean by that? It is the most disingenuous thing. When you when they say, well, in Norway, they don't have police shootings. Okay. Well, in Norway, they have 4 million people who have the same views, pretty much talk alike. You know, they have the same politics and everything. About 80% of the people are pretty much the same. So you're not going to have a need for that. Well, they don't do it in Japan. Well, in Japan, 98% of the population there out of 125 million people on a tiny island are Japanese. And only 2%, I think, are Korean or other. And a lot of these people, their culture, they were raised at birth to embrace politeness. You see pictures of them on the subway compared to a New York subway. <laughs> you can know, yeah. you, you see them bunched up and everybody's bowing and saying hello to each other, and then you go to a New York subway and all hell's breaking loose, right. and there's someone swinging naked from a pole. <laughs> you, you know? <laughs> it's always right. a show. It's a always a show. Yeah. So, so you can't compare You know, our countries, because America is a melting pot and that's a strength. It should be a strength. But what happens when you end up with a melting pot is this. You're going to have people coming from cultures and they're going to have rivalries of other cultures. You're going to like in my city, there's the Samoans and the Tongans. Both beautiful people, in my opinion, I've met and I love them to death. Great. They love their culture, but something happened in history between the two. And when they come together, it's not always good. Mm. There's black versus white. There's gay versus straight. There's this versus that in America. And also it's that we're a country that's founded on the gun. And the Second Amendment, I don't care how you scream and a holler, is not going anywhere. It's part of our Constitution. So since we're a country founded on the gun and there are people with guns, you're going to have those extreme people who are going to have guns too. And what happens is, though America is the most free country in the world, and it should stay that way, I hope it always remains that way, there are individuals, because it's free, who will take advantage of those freedoms and use those guns to hurt other people. And that's why law enforcement officers in America need to be armed. We're not Japan, so stop comparing us. But for us to be armed, and to be 800,000 of us, once again, uh, making 61 million contacts with people, and to only be in 1,000 shooting, that should tell you, you know, where we are in America, that you can still trust your law enforcement agency to do the right thing.
1: You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. My guest is Officer Dion Joseph. Can you tell me a story? You, you have so many stories and contacts with people, but maybe something that's just very tangible, how you were able to make a meaningful contact, you know, in a way that's where maybe you were in your role as a police officer, but you were put in a position where you were expected to be something else expected to be divisive expected to have one attitude because i think that for there's so many things here you said that i think for believers especially we need to unpack you're 100% right that we have to get to know each other mm-hmm. personally that gets us past those stereotypes because mm-hmm. you find out they're so stupid yeah <laughs> uh and um do you have an example of of that particularly with so much uh, stuff going on the last couple of years
2: well one that was kind of You know, we're in the midst of controversy Mm -hmm. and uh, my agency, I can't mention it, but uh, there was a young man who was shot by our agency. And when you looked at the facts and everything, it was a justified shooting, hands down. There's no question. But of course, before the information gets out, you get activists who get a hold of it. And of course, they scream assassination, murder. He didn't have this. He didn't have that. And they hype it up. And what they did was they found the mother of this young man and they gashed her up. You know, and, said, and by that you mean they, they stirred her up and stirred her up, yeah. stirred up an already vulnerable and emotionally yeah. vulnerable person who lost her child. And of course, they brought her to a commission meeting and the mother sat there and berated everyone. You know, you guys murdered my son and she let them have it. And then I was standing outside doing security uh, for the building. And they brought her out and they noticed me. A lot of these individuals know Dion Joseph as the quote unquote angel cop. Hmm. And of course, this is a great time to knock him down a few pegs. Let's get our cameras out and put this poor mother in front of him and let's let her let her just lean into him. So I'm sitting there and this mother comes to me and gets right in my face and says, oh, you're the angel, right? And I was like, Uh, ma'am, you're the angel, right? So you, you're okay with these officers murdering my son, killing my son, killing him. And he wasn't doing nothing. And, and she went in on me for about five minutes and I, now I'm a human being. Mm. I'm a professional too. I'm I can only take so much. My heart was welling up with emotion and, but I thought about Jesus. I remember that story of Jesus when the men drug an adulteress to him and they were yelling and screaming at him, what should we do with her? And I could see how cool Jesus was sitting there riding on the ground. I said, okay, I'm going to be that cool. I'm going to be cool like Jesus today. And she kept going on. And finally I looked at her, I says, ma'am, stop. And she was like, "Ooh!" and their cameras were ready to go. Cause they were going to get their yeah, soundbite from right. officer Joseph. Right. And I said, ma'am, I am sorry for the loss of your son. I said, the only human being in the world right now who has the right to feel any kind of way about someone taking their son's life, whether it was justified or not, is you. You have that right. You lost your baby. But for the people behind you gassing you up, and for me and everyone else, we have to wait for the facts to come out before we judge whether those officers are right or wrong. Ma'am, can I take your hand? And I couldn't believe it. She unclenched her arms and gave me her hand. I said, ma'am, I can't do it while I'm on duty, but I promise you when I get home tonight, I'm going to pray that in God's good time, he fills a hole in your heart. I am sorry you lost your son. I'm sorry. And, man, she let go of my hand, started tearing up. Oh, of course, the cameras went down. They didn't want to see right. that. you are not going to see that. Part <laughs> and then, of the TV. And they started deleting the footage. Right, right. <laughs> But the cool thing was she walked away. Mm. They walked away. And one of the activists looked back at me and nodded their head like, okay. Yep. That was a moment where I engaged her. In a way that was meaningful, that was from the heart. I could have, I could have easily. What they wanted me to do was say, "Lady, you should have, you should have raised your son right." That's what they wanted, right? Yeah. They wanted to make Some me so Some criticism of the of the heartbroken mom yeah. who lost her son. <laughs> and I never, I would never do that. Right. I would never do that. But anyway, that was one example of a meaningful contact. That and, and doing that shut down the hate at least for that moment. And so many others that, yeah. that, that people need to hear about. Just as an example to inspire people to do the same thing.
1: And, you know, I think the meaningful content, contact, when I hear that, there's so many contacts we have with people today. They're just not meaningful. The social media contacts. Mm. I mean, how many friends do you have on social media that you've never met? Right. Right. <laughs> or you met one time and you go home and they've friended you on something. Okay. But you don't really know them. No, you don't these things that what you just described with this woman i bet that today she remembers that and mm-hmm. she tells that story mm-hmm. and other people who paid attention like the activist who nodded your direction you know i'll bet he or she remembers that mm-hmm. that's very and that that's what it means to be meaningful right, right? it's impactful right it changes the the nature of the relationship right. it moves past those stereotypes yes. that she at first was acting on the
2: activists were acting on yeah And, you know, it's uh, intentionally showing up as who you are on the inside because, you know, they're stuck on what you look like on the outside. Yeah. All they saw was my uniform. They saw my uniform. I represent the biggest, meanest department on the planet, which is not true, but but that's what that's what they are trying to promote to people. Yeah. But I told that saw that as an opportunity to let the God in me out. Yes. And I felt her pain and I felt for her. And to this day, I still pray for her.
1: It's such a Jesus moment, really, for you, right? We're supposed to be like Jesus. Yes. And that is where, because you were a disciple of Jesus at that moment, because I I would say that's what Jesus would have done. I believe that. Right. If he were a cop, (laughs) that's how he would have responded at that moment to her, because he would understand the issue of her son being killed for whatever the reason. Right. That's what's driving her. Right. And... We have to see each other that way for what's in our hearts, the the different thing. And we have to see our our police officers or our our friends, our our pastors, political figures. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, whoever it is, they're people. Yeah. Right? That is – and that's something when we come back in a couple of minutes, uh, maybe we can talk more about about that and how do we learn that? Um, How do we lead in this country where we have forces? You know, what strikes me so much about that story too – is that the, the media and that activist group were trying to manufacture a story that they could put online. They absolutely were. Right, and this happens all the time. Yep. You know, if you pay attention, this is going, it's, it's fake. Yep. You know, when people say fake news, mm-hmm. there is fake news. Mm-hmm. And the real fake news isn't just the blatant lie, it's right. the manufactured story.
2: Yeah. yeah, the dangerous thing is this. People, the truth is not delicious. Mm-hmm. Okay. The truth tastes like earwax. I don't know. I was a kid. I did stupid things. I ate earwax. It's not very good. It's very <laughs> Well, bitter. you know, we all did, you know, because mistakes. <laughs> yeah. You know, it tastes like earwax. Yeah. You know, lies taste like chocolate, but when you bite into it, you know, I can't say what it really tastes like once <laughs> <when> you <laughs> bite into the center, but people don't want the truth because it's a bitter pill to swallow, but it can heal you, you know? Absolutely. Uh, the lie is delicious and you get high off it for a minute, but when you wake up, The world's burning down, and you don't even remember how it got there. Yeah. And that's just where we are today.
1: It is. Hey, when we come back, we'll talk about uh, actually the hope that we have in making these meaningful contacts with each other. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. My guest is Officer Dion Joseph, and I'll be back with Officer Dion as the Friday edition of Southern California Live continues. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Text Scott right now in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back to Southern California Live. Uh, I'm here with Officer Dion Joseph, Officer Dion, which, by the way, you can get, you can reach Officer Dion at his webpage, uh, dionjoseph.org, dionjoseph.org. And, uh, you may have seen him recently on, uh, on television. We were at a 700 Club before, yeah. and you've been, uh, recently you were on, uh, Officer Tatum's program, yes, I was. Uh, another program on our network. And, um, so it's great to have you with us. We're talking about meaningful contacts and how important it is to, make meaningful contacts you said that in the absence you're quoting um somebody a a mentor of yours a a hero of yours you said in the absence of meaningful contacts she said we tragically rely on the stereotypes of each other and that is so true we've been talking about the stereotypes that have been put out there about police officers recently and you know we were we were talking earlier today dion that when we were kids in school you were taught to respect police officers you were taught to you might want to be a police officer. If you right. were in trouble, you go to the police officer. Right. That's what you would do. There was, I can't think of a time when we were ever told, don't respect a police officer. Right. But that's changed. Dramatically. That's, yeah. Dramatically. Yeah. I mean, what are, what are kids hearing today, even from school?
2: Well, I remember prior to the uh, Mike Brown incident, Yeah. Uh, I would go on, talk to kids at the rescue mission or go talk to kids on school campuses, high schools, elementary schools, and then they would see me in the streets and they'd be grabbing me by the pant leg, wanting to give me a hug. Even when I was arresting somebody, I was like, kid, this is not the time. <laughs> but that was a beautiful thing that they saw me doing my job, but still loved me because the way I poured my heart and opened up to them. But then comes the, the, the Ferguson effect and everybody became radicalized. Even some teachers, not all, some teachers became radicalized and they started telling kids that, you know, no, the police aren't your friends. Uh, They have books where they have pictures of officers killing kids and things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll never forget. I walked into the same school and the reaction was totally different. The kids were sitting there with their arms folded. One kid looked like she was scared. I know another time uh, I was told that, well, you can come here, but you can't have your gun. Like, wait a minute! These kids know we carry guns, right? Right. You know? <laughs> and that used to the, be the coolest part. That used to be the coolest part. The Showing my gun, gun, my ammunition, and all, that, yeah. all everything what they're for, and stressing to the kids that we're, we're not here to kill people. This is only to defend you and us. That changed dramatically, and, uh, and it's, it's just affecting everywhere, elementary schools, uh, high schools, junior high schools. And, mm-hmm. and I love the challenge of breaking down those walls when I am allowed to go speak and, once again, engaging those Mean I figuratively, not literally, put down my badge and gun and show the kids who I am. I remember one time I literally did it. I took off my shirt. I took off my vest, and I'm sitting there with a white tank top. You see this officer with huge muscles in front of a group of beautiful black children who were taught to fear the police and said, look. This is probably what you're going to look like when you get older. (laughs) And they laughed. And then we would talk about how, look, I'm no different than you. I'm made of flesh and blood just like you. I'm here because I love you. I don't care what you hear. I don't care what your teacher told you. And it's a beautiful thing. How I I turn the tide.
1: I think that one of the problems that has developed in our country is that as we divide, what we're doing is we're dehumanizing each other. So we're dividing into different groups based on race or profession or religion or whatever it is. And we take away the humanity, which makes it. Very easy then to hate, right? And very easy to stick to those things, uh, the the stereotypes. So you know, as police officers, you're you're not just going to say, "Well, we lament the Ferguson effect and woe is us." Mm-hmm. Uh, police agencies around the, the country, and I've been a part of this and you're a part of this, are working very hard to counter this, mm-hmm. uh, specifically with meaningful contact. Can you tell us some of the things that you've been involved in that police officers do and maybe some things that people you – know, if people are listening who struggle? I know some of our listeners struggle with uh, the police. They've called and said it's just really difficult. Right. You know what are some things that the police are doing to make meaningful contacts, and how do we connect with that?
2: Well, across the country, and unfortunately, because it's underreported, nobody really talks about it because that's not going to get ratings or sponsors, yeah. right? Uh, you're not going to see it, but it is happening, and I'm not the only one. On, on my agency, and which I can't mention, there are plenty of officers doing the same thing, if not more than I am. Uh, but I can only talk about my walk, uh, and th- there was a shooting in the Skid Row area around 2015, and it was a justified shooting. Uh, it was a, a home homeless individual who had just assaulted a man officers tried to take him into custody safely and he ended up fighting them and then while he was on the ground uh, two officers got uh, had to jump off of him because of a a homeless woman got a hold of their baton and he was able to get free and grab a hold of an officer's weapon and he officers tried uh, unfortunately had to do something that I probably would have done the same thing if I was on that scene Mm -hmm. and uh, of course Activists who weren't even there showed up about 10 minutes later, and of course, they're screaming, assassination. Uh, they murdered a homeless, unarmed man. And I was at home uh, drinking a strawberry smoothie in my Superman underwear, trying to relax and uh, enjoy <laughs> my day off. you have a cape for that? <laughs> yes, I'd actually have a cape for right, it. All right,
1: good for you. That's exactly uh, what you should have. It have was a, a gift. It I, I have a Batman gift. cape. We need to go hang out. All right. I'll fight good. some crime with
2: you. <laughs> Just so nobody takes the pictures of it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why the mask covers my whole face. You know, people don't know. Who is that? Well it's batman
2: yeah <laughs> but absolutely so uh, i get a call from one of my good friends andy bales from the union rescue mission yes. and he says dion we we saw it, we heard they're trying to say it's an assassination we have some additional footage and i was like oh man he said you need to get here so the next day i called my captain and said let me come in i came in and i walked a footbeat. now what the, the ferguson effect uh happened because those police officers backed off mm. You know, when controversy struck they backed out of the community who was left to fill the void of course the anti-police activists you know so I didn't want that to happen in Skid Row and I felt it when I walked those streets with another partner of mine I can cut the tension with a knife but I says no I'm going to have contacts with these people and I started talking to people about the shooters yeah we heard about it we heard this and that Joseph they even said that you were the one who shot him I said I was on a day off because one of the officers involved were black but that's how evil these activists can be you know when they're trying to slur somebody trying to make a difference so I found in talking to the people and having dialogue about 75% of the people I talked to, which of course the media is never going to put a microphone in their face, understood why the officers did what they did. One of them says, well, hell, if you guys didn't shoot and we were probably going to do it, that's how, that's how rough it was. And then, uh, then for the 25% that didn't, who bought into the rhetoric, I was able to meet, I didn't run, there was a crowd of them standing around me and I was able to talk about uses of force. And though I couldn't speak directly to the incidents, what would you do if this happened? And many of them had to agree. Wow. You know what? Since you put it like that, I might have done the same thing. So, But I had to take it a step further. That wasn't enough. Uh, so the next thing was uh, there was a vigil being held, and I couldn't believe it. I was invited. Hmm. You know, My agency just shot a man, and I was invited to the vigil for the man who was shot. Hmm. And I got a lot of flack from my fellow officers. Why would you go there? Why would you go there? It hmm. do you, do you do? has nothing to do with him. You know, I I know what my officers did. They did. They did the right thing. They did what was justified to protect themselves and the public. But if I don't go there, who's going to go? Whose narrative is going to be out there? So I went and I also know the community was hurting. Yes. So I went there and I showed up. And when the people saw me, I entered the room and I couldn't believe even the media that was there couldn't believe it. They fell all over me, spilled my candle all over my shirt, <laughs> hugged me, kissed me. There's pictures of it. And, and it was just I almost had to fight back tears. And, and people were like, we understand, we understand. And just me showing up made a difference. But from there, I couldn't stop there. We had to do something. So all credit to a wonderful pastor who lives in D.C. now named Pastor Delonte Goldstein. And uh, he is not very uh, Mm pro-police on many issues, but but he's a Christian and he's a man with the heart of God. And like I said, he wanted to have those open communications. And he came up with, I just let's have a trust talk. So he says, you get 12 of your officers. And bring them down to whatever location. And we're going to bring in people from Skid Row, homeless, gang members, loft dwellers, everybody, drug counselors. And we're going to all, each one, sit at a table and say, but Joseph, you bring those officers. You know what? When I came to my fellow officers, it wasn't like, no, we don't want to do it. They hate us. We -hmm. don't want to do what Ferguson did. Every single one of them said, let's do it. And we went over there enthusiastically, and one officer per table. And we had we talked about issues about police bi- police violence, police abuse, uh, death. And I loved this one trust talks we did where one of the officers I pulled from patrol they called him the skidhead because he was white and bald. They automatically assumed he was a neo Nazi skinhead. But mm-hmm. this guy is the coolest guy in the world. But they didn't care. Yeah. Once again, relying on tragically relying on stereotypes. So he and I were at a table in a circle with several activist and of course they came with their propaganda and their rhetoric and then he says hold on I want to tell my story of why I'm here in Skid Row I've been here 10 years I'm here because I'm tired of watching homeless people get killed raped and he went on and on and by the time he was done showing his heart one of those uh the, the most outspoken activist was crying she was in tears she says, I did not know you guys felt that way you know why because people want you to rely on stereotypes Yep. They want you to rely on stereotypes. I did a thing in Liberty University uh, years ago, one of my proudest moments. And uh, there were Black Lives Matter activists in there. And by the time I was done, I was the only speaker that got a standing ovation there in years. And by the time I was done, about several of them came to me and says, nobody ever told us these stories. Nobody ever told us that you guys feel this way. And that's why it's so important. I want to talk to my fellow officers right now if I can. Don't give up. Yeah. I know it's hard to show them who you are. Because crime is high, you only have time to show what you do. But if you got 30 seconds to show people love from a place, genuine love outside of your badge, from a place they don't expect, you need to show it. But on the flip side of that, we need the public to open their hearts as well to and give those officers the opportunity. We need the media. Let's all stop this. There are wonderful officers that you're not even talking to right now. Who, If you put a microphone in their face, you find out you'll agree with them. You find they yeah. might agree with you. Right. We've got to humanize each
1: other. We only have about a minute left. And, uh, you know, I think the things that you're saying, they're powerful for us, not only in our relationships with police officers, who many of us maybe don't know personally. And right. we have opinions mm-hmm. or people of a different race or a different background, different uh, economic base, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You've got to make meaningful connections with them, meaningful yep. contacts. And you find out we're made in the image of God. Absolutely. We have similar concerns. Mm-hmm. Mostly they're the same. Yeah. We agree a lot more than we disagree. Right. I believe that about a lot of people. And as Christians, this is part of discipleship. It's relational. Mm-hmm. And we get to carry the gospel with us of grace, of peace. And I want people to know that what you what you just heard from Officer Dion and what he's been doing as an officer, there are groups in San Diego doing this. I've been a part of those. There's groups in cities around the country. There's a lot of good. Absolutely. A lot of good that's happening And it's often being driven by uh, Christian police officers or Christian pastors. And even, as you said, Christian pastors who don't really like the police very much, right? (laughs) but who have these trust talks. And uh, I've been a part of that. I've been in a lot of those meetings or those vigils like you've talked about. And there's some tension there, right? Yeah, yeah. But the tension is okay to face it. Yes. And that's true in whatever relation issue that you have. Mm -hmm. But that tension, when you feel it, go into it. The tension is good.
2: We're, We're in this mode where... It's only two options. It's either fight or flight. Yeah. And many agencies, we end up in flight. I'm not saying we're cowards, but a lot of times we get pulled back. No, we don't want to get sucked into that vortex right there. Let's pull back because we know how it's going to go. We know how it's going to end up. Yeah, You know, or fight mode where you have to defend yourself uh, and you're defending yourself from a deficit. And when you defend it from a deficit, you have to get louder. You have to get stronger. You have to be more, more visceral just to be heard. And that doesn't help either. You know, we've lost the middle ground we 've lost the middle mm-hmm. ground in two thousand and twenty uh, two and and i 'm hoping that we can gain that back, uh, especially when it comes to law enforcement and contacts with the uh, yeah. communities of color
1: and I think uh, all of us, uh, particularly as followers of christ uh, it 's time to step out there yes. and and do that and the, the what happens is the the gospel and the light of Christ gets shown to people mm-hmm. and uh, uh, i 'll tell you after the break a little bit more about some experiences i 've had where i 've seen people get saved because of these meetings yep, uh, and people embrace who you wouldn't think would who would not have hugged actually like you've said when they walked in the room oh right? man yes and it's amazing how fast the the gospel and just listening and loving each other can break down those walls officer dion uh thank you for being with us today uh, it's always great to have you. We'll have you again on again soon.
2: I cannot wait, brother.
1: All right. Uh, my friends, this is Officer Dion Joseph. If you want to learn more about Officer Dion, go to DionJoseph.org. DionJoseph.org is the website. And uh, he is somebody who is available to speak at your event or your church, and you can uh, look him up that way. Go to—actually, that's no, it's DionJoseph.org. I'm saying it yes. right. DionJoseph.org. I mm-hmm. uh, apologize for that. DionJoseph.org. DionJoseph.org.
2: And if you want some delicious wings, go to cover Wings. Go to comfort <laughs> with week. a Z. With a Z. With and, a Z. Uh, and we'll come out to you and serve you some delicious chicken.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, Officer Dion, thanks for being with us today on Southern California Live.
2: All right, brother. Take care.
1: All right. We'll be back, and I'll take your calls 888 528 2557 when the Friday edition of Southern California Live continues.
0: This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at
1: 213 537 3812. Welcome back to Southern California Live. It's great to be with you. It is Friday we'll do open line Friday here, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. On Fridays, we'll take your calls on any subject, so you can call, change the subject, talk about uh, whatever it is we are currently talking about, and uh, we'll we'll do that. Bible questions, questions about the news, uh, comments you want to make, thats it's a great day for that. 888-528-2557 is the number. Earlier this hour, we had on uh, Officer uh, Dion Joseph, and uh, you know what? It's always great to have him. He has so many stories. We'll have him on a lot, DionJoseph.org, a friend of Southern California Live. And, you know, he was talking about things that officers are doing to bridge the gap, the the divide that is so current in uh, our communities, um, not just with officers and, and people, but sometimes with lots of different groups. And he quoted a hero of his who said, in the absence of meaningful contacts, we with meaningful contacts, we tragically rely on stereotypes of each other. You know, I'll tell you how powerful that is when a few years ago I was a, a regular part of a group in San Diego uh, that gathers together every week and tries to make these meaningful contacts. And I have to tell you, it's some of the most profound time I've ever spent in ministry, and I didn't do much talking during that period of time. Uh, It's because in the room are people from all different parts of the community. You had police officers in this particular group of people. Uh, It's called CAST, if you want to remember what that is, Community Assistance Support Team. And uh, you guys, if you're listening, you guys continue to do a great job. And you have in the room, you have police officers from different divisions, but primarily it was a gang unit. You also had people from the mayor's office, people from different positions in City Hall, people sometimes from different cities coming down to see what it's all about. And you had community activists and the activists were coming from all sorts of different positions. And uh, there's some people in there who don't like cops very much at all. And some people in there who are really working hard. Everybody in there really is working hard to to connect. And, you know, some of the value is not just the conversation that happens. And there's a lot of tension. And I mean, there it's significant tension, right? When you have people in the room who are in a position where they are profoundly in disagreement about, how police work ought to be done, about where your heart might be with a certain matter, about truth being told and and how you perceive the truth. There's so many things to get over in our, our world today that's driven by a media that doesn't get under the surface, that doesn't want to consider that maybe there are some points to concede for the other side, or maybe doesn't want to consider that what they're saying is just false, just not factually accurate. Uh, that happens a lot, by the way, when it, when it, at least in my experience and what I've seen personally, is that when I'm a part of something that ends up in the media, sometimes you read the story and you go, well, that's not what happened at all. Uh, And it's amazing. And sometimes I think it's because there's just a bad journalist, but sometimes it's a journalist who's also bad for another reason, deliberately misrepresenting uh, the story, uh, the truth of what happened. You know, a few years ago, he kept talking about the the Ferguson effect, and after that, if you remember 2014 201415 time frame, there was a lot of uh, violence and rioting and police assassinations, and there was just some terrible things: officers getting shot, big one in Dallas, several officers were shot one night it was terrible. and we were seeing that in a lot of places. and Any time there was a police shooting of any kind or if there was something going on, then you'd, you'd have pretty serious rioting going on. Um, in major cities. In San Diego, there was a police officer uh, who was assassinated and it was a terrible thing. And he was just sitting in his car and somebody came up and shot him. Um, Horrific thing. But I'll tell you what, this officer was somebody in San Diego They didn't have riots after that. And the reason is because this officer, along with many other officers and many community activists, many community activists who are um, they would call themselves black lives matter. Uh, and this was before, uh, the George Floyd thing. So black lives matter has been around for a while, but it was not the organization that it kind of became and something that spun off in a different direction, but it was a group of people who would, who would really say that. And I think it had a better meaning anyway at the time. Um, but it was people who were on the far left, far right. There was all kinds of tension. The reason that there was no violence after that in San Diego, is because that officer was part of this group who would go door-to-door and have these meaningful contacts with people. See, he was known. His name was known. And it wasn't just somebody who we do this to people, right, is that we take their profession, and it could be a police officer, but it could be a doctor or a nurse, it can be a radio host, it can be a pastor, it can be whatever it is. You probably experienced this maybe with whatever your profession is or whatever your background is. People stereotype you sometimes when they don't know you this happens a lot but when you make those meaningful contacts it humanizes you and even with people who are politically opposed to you or they're genuinely your enemy you the closer that you get you know them you people become humanized now sometimes in that humanization you find out how deep the sin goes right and that is also part of of who we are but in this circumstance what i saw at the funeral was people coming together to mourn over this officer's death that was the opposite of what was happening in so many places, people from all across the spectrum. And a lot of it was because there was meaningful context. I've been in some rooms where work is being done, where people are very opposed to each other, who come together in the room and they talk. And I've seen people get saved. I've seen pastors who are a part of these groups who do some dangerous things, frankly, who will show up where the violence might be escalating or maybe violence has just happened and they come to cool down the situation. I've seen people share their faith and share how God changed them. And people who have a criminal past or people who have made mistakes or people who have just been in a bad place, I've seen the Lord do tremendous things in the heart of our cities that are torn apart by so many things. And I want to to tell you that this is going on in San Diego, it's going on in Los Angeles, it's going on in all of our cities, and Dion's right, the media just doesn't cover it. Um, we got some media attention, and you know I talked about it for a while with there was one day where you know I was on the news for a couple of days talking about this, and then it went away. And I thought, you know, every night there's some story that is missing a lot of the information, sometimes because they just don't have it. And, you know, we forget about things the next day. Uh, So people just move on. I want you to know that there are believers who are uh, working very hard to create environments where meaningful contacts happen, where God is glorified, where Jesus is praised, where people change their mind, where people come together. And this is not easy work. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to show up. It's courageous to show up, but people do. Can I encourage you in your life with somebody maybe where there's some tension or maybe you have an enemy? I have a friend. He's got an arch enemy. That's what he says, like a comic book. This person is my arch enemy. And I mean, it's rough with that person. It is an enemy. But I'll tell you what, when you can sit across the table from somebody and have a meal, when you can sit down and actually say, Hey, these are the things I think, as hard as it is to say them, uh, you find that it breaks down a lot of walls. I think God calls us to this. I think part of discipleship, part of the reason Jesus says to pray for those who persecute you, to love your enemies. Number one, the goal is that your enemy would be saved. That's the goal. The goal is that people come to Christ. That's the goal. Uh, Not that you correct their political persuasion if they happen to differ from you. That might happen. Uh, in time, if a particular per- political per- point of view is better, I think the Holy Spirit always leads us to the truth. But when we sit down with people, what we want people to know first and foremost is the truth of Jesus Christ, and uh, that matters a lot. Hey, if you know somebody who doesn 't know Jesus, maybe somebody you work with, somebody you go to school with, somebody who lives next door, and you thought, you know I want to share my faith, I want to tell them about Jesus, or maybe you have maybe you they know that you 're a Christian. They see you going to church on Sunday morning or your small group or whatever. Uh, I want to invite you to invite them to the Harvest Crusade. It's this Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m. at Angel Stadium of Anaheim. You can bring somebody who needs to hear the gospel message. Pastor uh, Greg Laurie will be giving the gospel message again. There's going to be music from Crowder, Phil Wickham, Newsboys, Jeremy Camp, and more. And so, what I want you to do is think about that right now. It's Saturday and Sunday, this weekend, 6 p.m. is when it starts, but the doors open at 4.30, so you want to get there early, get a good seat. The music will be good. The program will be good. The environment will be fun. And you can bring your family. You bring people that need to know the Lord or need to come back to the Lord. And I want to encourage you to do that. I'll be there on Saturday, and I'll meet you outside. I'll be underneath the uh, angel's helmet for part of the time before the program starts. And you can learn more by going to socal.harvest.org, socal.harvest.org. And I want to encourage you to do this. This is a great way to have meaningful connection. Let people know about your faith. You might leave with that person and they might have questions. Maybe they'll even accept the Lord and you'll go down on that field and pray with them. What an amazing opportunity. I want to encourage you to do that. SoCal.harvest.org. This is Southern California Live. When we come back, we'll talk about COVID amnesty and we'll take your calls on anything because it's open line Friday. I'm Scott Furrow. I'll be back as the Friday edition of Southern California Live continues.